Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets. My name is Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise, and each week we'll be exploring different people's perspectives on enterprising mindsets. My guest today is Sam White. Sam is the multi-award winning Chief Executive of Freedom Services, a UK-based group of companies including Action 365, Pucker Insure and Freedom Brokers and Stellar Insurance in Australia. Having started her first company in 1999, aged just 24 in her sister's conservatory, 20 years later she employs over 150 staff with offices in Cheadle, Cheshire and Sydney, Australia with a turnover of 18 million. Sam prides herself on operating a true meritocracy, a vocal supporter of equal rights in the workplace. 67% of Sam's directors are women, motivated by a desire to change the insurance industry for the better and level the playing field. Sam, congratulations first on the successful launch of Stellar Insurance in Australia. Thank you very much. Great PR coverage, uh, including a fantastic article in in Marie Claire. So really exciting times. But if I may um, take you back to the start of your journey. So what was it like? growing up for you were you always going to be an entrepreneur um I think I was always going to be pretty troublesome and (laughs) most most entrepreneurs I know fall into that category I think there was definitely early signs you know I got kicked out of Sunday school as a child for asking too many questions and not being happy with the answers that I got back I just always felt like you shouldn't just accept the status quo you shouldn't just accept what people told you was the way that things had to be done. And I think you have to have that if you're going to make any kind of success as an entrepreneur. So that kind of curiosity then and that searching for for questions, do you think that mindset, if you like, is something that you were born with? It was something that was encouraged in your environment or was that just something you developed? I do have a lot of entrepreneurs in my genetic history. So you could argue that nature plays a part but I would also say I I had quite a challenging childhood and and actually I think in some ways that really helps as well I think I spoke to somebody about this and I think to a degree the the thing that entrepreneurship has in its favors for people that perhaps haven't had a complete easy run of it is that if you learn from an early age that perhaps other people aren't as reliable as you might hope, it does install a sort of sense of survival in you that you're more likely to sort of say, actually, it's okay for me to strike out on my own and and try and find solutions to problems without other people's help. Yeah, so I guess there's something there about you'll find a way, there'll always be a way. For sure, because I don't think you build resilience without having challenges. And once you've been through a certain number of challenges and realised that actually nobody died, there was a solution, there was another route out, then you do develop that kind of mindset. And talking about mindset, so the whole podcast series is around an enterprising mindset and it's very individual in terms of its definition. So what would your, what does an enterprising mindset mean to you personally? For me, it's very much about creating potential doors for you to, to go through. So, you know, I, I never look at, at problems as having only one solution. The reason for that is if you set yourself up with a sort of preconception that you really want something, whatever that may be. And, and the only way to get it is, is path A and path A doesn't work. Then aside from being crushingly disappointed, you're likely to give up. And I think an enterprising mindset says, I know what I want. I've got that kind of big goal, but I'm flexible to how I'm going to 
get there. I accept the fact that that the first path I choose might not be the right path, but that's okay. I'm I'm going to start on it, and if it turns out that it's not taking me in the direction I want to go in, I'm quite happy to shift to another direction. Interestingly enough, you're extremely successful female entrepreneur. The combination of your businesses, 18 million turnover really impressive. Are there considerations for female founders that you feel uh, are there for females that in scaling up businesses, in starting up businesses that aren't there for, for men? I think we absolutely have to look at this space because you only have to look at the statistics to say something isn't quite working. And I don't think it's enough for you to write women off and say they're less entrepreneurial than men. Because actually, you know, from my experience, women are exceptionally resourceful and good at finding solutions and resilient. So then why is there such a small percentage of female entrepreneurs when we report that we're such a balanced and open society? I think there's a lot to be said. I'm I'm reading a book, which I keep quoting at the moment, so everybody's absolutely sick to death of me bringing it up. But it's, um, it's, It's called Invisible Women, The Truth About Data Bias. And It's very illuminating as to how much of the world that we live in has been designed by men for men. And, you know, I don't say that in a sort of man-hating, banner-waving way, because I think a lot of it is unconscious. You know, I don't think it's been been thought of. So classic example that I refer to from a motor travel perspective is that seatbelts have been designed for the male torso, but just men designed seatbelts. So when they were doing the the crash testing, they used male crash dummies. And and the net result of that is they're not really ergonomically designed for women. So 17% more women die in car accidents than than men do. And if you're if you're pregnant and you get into a car accident, there's there's a huge chance that the baby will will suffer as a result of it. And this is true for medicines and and a whole range of, of different products that we use on a day-to-day basis. And I, I personally believe it's also true of the financial services sector, mm-hmm. which is absolutely imperative for women to get the support from a, a funding viewpoint to be able to launch their own businesses. Tell us a little bit more about that. So is there a bias in terms of giving female founders funding or scaling up funding? Uh, there's a bias everywhere. So uh, only 1% of all funding that is spent in businesses in the UK goes to female-founded businesses. 1%. Um, there's 1% um, that goes to female-founded. I think there's something like 10% that goes to any kind of different race or ethnicity and a very small percentage that goes to mixed teams. There's a huge percentage just goes to male-founded businesses. Do you think that's related to an appetite around risk, or is it an algorithm? What, what's, what's the reason behind that? So there's definitely less women asking for money. Mm. So, so when they do get the money, they get less as well. So the average amount of money that goes to male-funded businesses, I think, is something like £2 million. And the average amount that goes to female businesses is something like 980,000. Women ask less, but they are refused more. So you've got a problem at the top end of the funnel that women aren't going and asking for the funding. 
And then you've got to say, well, well, why is that? Because they're more risk averse. And I, I think there's there's an element of that, but there's there's also an element of nobody really likes to go into an environment where they're made to feel less than or uninformed. And the, the finance market is very much dominated by one category of people. And they're also, they're well-educated on what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I think that that can be quite intimidating for a female founder that potentially doesn't have the connections to to be able to get the, the sort of support required to be able to navigate those processes. And even the, the corporate financier world is not advertising to women. You know, if you look at the bias in the adverts that they put out around funding resources. You'll see very male language, male Im- imagery. All of those things count. They make a difference. A friend of mine runs a very successful insurance company, and he's, he's a fabulous guy. He's a, he's a real champion for women. And he was getting very frustrated that he wasn't getting students through applying for jobs, an equal ratio of male to female. It was massively disproportionately male. And what he did is he he took his job advert and he ran it through a new piece of technology, which sounds absolutely fabulous, but but basically it analyzes the language and imagery that you use. Because apparently there there is a bias between certain types of language, male or female. And when he ran it through, he he found that his advert was was (laughs) something like 85% male in terms of the color, the the words, everything else. And, And so he had it kind of redone to be more female centric and the response was was phenomenal so the difference in the uptake of people that were then applying for the jobs with his organization when he changed the advert was significant and I I think we have to look at all these things you know we we can't just say it's lefty political correctness gone crazy the reality is that human beings are influenced by language and imagery and and there will be things that are more appealing for men than there are for women and and vice versa. And for lots of young women right now, the thought of setting up and and running your own business is is, is just not accessible as a concept, as a thought, never mind, you know, a possibility. You talk about the potential for feeling intimidated as a female founder. How have you overcome that? And what can we learn from that in terms of sharing that with learning with young, young women? I think it did help that I was quite young when I started. So I think for so any... you were 24, weren't you, when you started your first business? Yeah. And, you know, for, for, for any entrepreneur, I think the longer you leave it, probably the harder it is. And that's not me saying that you shouldn't start at 40 or 50 or 60 or... or or however, however old you want to be. When you're younger, you have less, less to lose. So when you're younger, you, you, know, you might not have kids or a mortgage or those things that kind of apply that level of, of fear of loss. But I think for me, the, the main thing that I had in my favor and, and something that I cling on to very strongly now is what's the worst that can happen philosophy? I think a lot of people look that and think that decisions are so permanent. If I do this now, then this is like a massive decision because it's irreversible. And of course, it's just not true. Like when I started my business from my sister's conservatory, I just, I was of the basis, I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, 
I can always get a job. It's not the end of the world if I can't make this work. Now, now people may say, well, you know, so then you're not fully committed. But I, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think it's helpful to put a massive pressure on yourself in any endeavor. I mean, think about a new relationship. Go out on a first date and you've worked yourself up that this person's going to be the person that you marry and settle down and have kids with. And if the date doesn't go well, then the whole thing's going to collapse. The chances are you're not going to have a great time. <laughs> and you're probably going to terrify the other person. <laughs> I was going to say. And I, but this is true in every endeavour in life. By all means, give it 100%. Try your best. But don't go into it putting the pressure on yourself that this, if it doesn't work out, is is an absolute disaster and you know your whole life's going to collapse in itself. Because there's just, for me, there was just as big a risk of taking a job and not enjoying it or it being the wrong job as there was trying to do something for myself. I'm just thinking about when I was uh, I was a kid and I, just the thought of talking to my dad about about being an entrepreneur or setting out. I mean, he he was a tree fellow. He was like kind of a one, one man band kind of thing. But if I had spoke to him about being an entrepreneur and setting out on my own, he just would be like, oh, you, what are you doing? You know, you just, you just need to get a job, you know, just have a salary coming in. I mean, how do we, how do we help young people and work with families for perhaps it is really important to have uh, an, an income coming in a salary coming in how do we work to help people think about that your career isn't just going to be one thing it's not going to be linear that you could perhaps look at setting up a business well, parents are really tricky I mean I <laughs> say don't talk to your parents about it but that's probably not <laughs> what you're looking for um, but I mean my dad was very much the same Ironically, his dad had been a serial entrepreneur. Oh. Attitude to risk was extremely high. And as such, my dad had, had had quite a turbulent childhood where his father had made a load of money and he was in the best private school in the land and then lost it all. And he was in a council estate school in Liverpool and having the crap beaten out of him because he didn't speak like the other kids. So he, he had an inherent fear that being an entrepreneur was risky and dangerous. And I think I probably wasn't hugely forthcoming when I first started to build the business because I, I didn't want to compound any fear I might have with his fear. And I think we, we have to acknowledge that generations are different and we have to acknowledge those fears. Like I, I always think whatever it is, it's best to get everything out on the table and, and kind of talk through it, have all of those things discussed. And I think the world is a very different place to where it was perhaps when your dad was felling trees. A lot of jobs don't have the security or consistency anymore that they potentially had years ago. And I think it's important to have that conversation, however scary it may be. Because if you're choosing one path because you think it's a safer path, but actually in reality, potentially it's not, then the alternative becomes more possible and more attractive by default. Because some of those industries which you know our families have probably felt were really secure are no longer secure. And, and I think... There's a real opportunity here with the potential to bring new sectors in through digital opportunities to bring it into schools so that young people who perhaps would never, ever physically have come into 
contact with life scientists or health sector or whatever that might new new industry might be but through digital opportunities they can now get access to that in a way that they couldn't before so I think you're right I think there is a real moment now to think about how young people do get access to inspiration aspiration that just wasn't available um, you know even five years ago I would think it's not just work work has to balance perfectly with, with home you know, understanding what you want out of life, what kind of life you want to have. I had a really interesting conversation with a guy that's going to help me raise funds for the business. Actually, he came at it from a totally different perspective. So look, it's great that I know what you want to do with the business and where you want to take it, but I think we need to kind of go a step before that. And he said, it's really important that you understand what it is that you want personally over the next few years so that we can build a plan that helps you get to that. And I think that the same is true with, with any young person that's embarking on, on a career choice. I, I went to like a speed mentoring event. It was one of the Andy Burnham programs. We had like 1,200 kids and we did the speed mentoring event. And it was really interesting because I was chatting to one girl and she was saying that her parents really wanted her, I think, to be an accountant. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I was like, do you like numbers? Like, do you enjoy that? And she was like, well, no, not really. And I said, well, what do you like? And she, I, she said, I absolutely love horses. Okay. I said, why wouldn't you want to do something around that? Like, how important is money to you versus career satisfaction? What's your, because we're all different. Some people will only be happy if they're making a ton of money and they've got the best shoes and, you know, they're going to the best places. But this girl was like, I'm not really, I'm not really asked about any of that. I, I love spending time with animals. And if I could spend seven, eight hours a day with, with my horses, that would make me ecstatically happy. So I said, well, if I were you, I'd look at careers around that then because there's absolutely no point doing a job that you hate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much of your life. I think that's probably amplified even more now, isn't it? Because the, the situation that we're in, I think a lot of people are beginning to think actually, what do I really want from life? The COVID situation has really made people reflect on what's important. And I mean, I certainly have. I, you know, I kind of think, well, just being able to see my wife most evenings, spend some time with the family is really, really important. So do you find, you know, the last six months, has that kind of taught you much personally and professionally? Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely enjoyed spending more time with the kids and it's definitely made me think about what I want to do and how I want to move things forward in the future. It's easy to get caught up in the business of doing. The urgent will be constantly demanding your attention. So the emails, the text messages, the phone calls, the the meetings, the, you know, the business crises, the, the urgent's always on your case. It's always dragging you away. But the important's really quiet. So your partner, your kids, you, they're not constantly telling you that you're missing that time with them and that you won't get it back. But you are. And, and that's the stuff that is, is deeply important to us as human beings. And I think when you're trying to work out what you want to do with your life, if you don't start from a position of deciding 
what are those things that are non-negotiable? What are those things that are deeply important to you and personal to you? Then you run the risk of, of living a life for somebody else. And that goes for success, doesn't it now? I mean, what is success really should be what an individual describes as what success, not ne- not necessarily what someone prescribes for us. We're in a moment, I think, where people can start to say, well, actually, do I need to have X, Y and Z in my life when that's not really important, actually? And I think and I think with young people, starting from a place of passion, starting from a place of interest, it's very much a strength-based or a, a mindset-based that we, we should be continuing to support young people to develop. If you want to see how destructive not doing that is, you only have to look at the the rise in, in problems with mental health, which I think is absolutely related to people thinking that they have to subscribe to this this other version of success the media forces on them. It doesn't feed the soul or it doesn't it doesn't provide them with with the type of life that they want to live and it it's just incredibly corrosive so i've seen immense amount of people who are pushing back now and they've had some time at home with the family they they've gotten off the hamster wheel for a period of time you know their stress levels have come down regardless of homeschooling i accept that that probably has added a certain amount of additional stress to a lot of people they're kind of going, is X worth Y? And it, it, if the answer is yes, and you know there's something you desperately want, you're passionate about, and it's worth the sacrifice, then you should absolutely give everything you've got to get that thing. But if you're if you're pursuing something for the sake of it, be, just because you've got yourself onto that hamster wheel, it, it, it's not going to work. Mm. And Sam, I know you're hugely invested in supporting young people, both locally and and, and nationally. We know that young people will be disproportionately impacted by the COVID situation. What, in your view, do you think we can do as a as a collective of as educators, employers, and the charity sector to to support young people to prepare for that future world of work? I mean, I really, really want to see more young people setting up their own businesses because you can create your own universe that way. I mean, I I love things like Airbnb and Uber, where somebody created a market that never existed before because they had an idea that they were prepared to to try and bring to fruition. And I think young people are perfectly placed to find new solutions to problems that, that, you know, the older generation may not even be aware exists. And if they can find those solutions and, and make it commercially viable, then they don't have to get trapped in low-paid jobs with a lack of job security, which is COVID has removed a, a, a large proportion of jobs that young people were in. I don't know if it's removed high-quality career opportunities for young people. And you know, I don't think that just because you're younger doesn't mean that you're any less competent you know i think at at both ends of the spectrum we've got older the older generation that that can get written off in the working environment where they've got tons of experience that can be of massive benefit to employers you've also got younger people that are written off as not having enough experience therefore their views don't count whereas actually 
the experience that they have is probably a damn sight more relevant to a lot of markets than the experience that that somebody of, of my age has because you know the world's changing at such a pace what you really do need is people that understand that change and i think as employers we have to adapt our environment not expect them to adapt to us because otherwise we're not going to be fit for purpose within a very short space of time because we're not going to be addressing the issues that are actually key issues and important to the the generation that that needs it and you're absolutely right i think i think this generation of young people uh, those young people that have been going through gcse's and a levels i mean they've demonstrated amazing agility and adaptability i mean we've i've got a young man at home who's in year 11 gcs one minute he was taking his gcse's literally the next day he he wasn't and then he had a summer really of of not knowing what was going to happen until you know, he's literally gone into sixth form now so but demonstrating sig significant agility and resilience and just being able to support young people to process everything that they've worked through and then being able to articulate that and I think that in itself is a fantastic skill set that that would be valuable to any employer. Yeah and we also need to challenge our own perspective of what resilience looks like. I hear a lot about the sort of snowflake generation and they can't focus and they're not doing this and they're not doing that and I think I'm sure that that is true of certain individuals, but I think you've also got to kind of ask yourself, is it us that haven't created the working environment that are going to absolutely bring out the best in the next generation? Are we expecting them to come from a very different upbringing and understanding of the world into an environment that is as far as they're concerned, completely antiquated. The hierarchical nature of most corporate structures probably is a a real challenge to the next generation. I think they have more information at their fingertips than we ever had. They are taught to question and, and challenge because of that. One of my teacher friends was saying it's an absolute nightmare now because everybody has got access to Google. And in the past, you'd stand at the front of the class and you'd make a sort of blanket statement about something and the kids would just accept that that was the truth but now they're sort of going out that's not true and it's a piece of information here that shows that what you've just said is factually incorrect I don't envy them in in that dynamic but I do wonder how much of the environments that we have from a working perspective just are completely at odds with the experience of of life the next generation is is receiving what for you fuels an enterprising mindset when you know particularly as an entrepreneur if you're disappointed or you're frustrated how do you how do you keep that going i kind of work on the basis that you always have to have faith but you should never have any expectations that works well for me so so by that i am prepared to keep trying if there's a problem i'm trying to solve i will just keep going at it and i won't keep going at it in the same way. So I, I had a challenge recently that I was, I was quite badly let down by my bank. Instead of allowing that to crush me, and of course you're gonna, you're gonna feel that disappointment when you think something's gonna go a certain way and it doesn't. I then sort of said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have to find another way. And I embarked on sort of four or five different strategies to, to try and solve the problem. 
four out of five of them didn't come good, but eventually one of them did. And that's what I mean by the, you, you have to have faith because you, you can't keep getting back up off the mat if you haven't got faith. But if you expect every punch to land and you expect every deal to go through and you expect every project you, to, you run to be a success, you're going to drown yourself in, in disappointment. And you can't afford to have disappointment as an entrepreneur. You, you, you can't afford to give it a nod because that will drain your energy faster than anything else. You know, you, you refill your your pot with hope and faith and so i look for as many opportunities as i can find on a day-to-day basis to to charge up and not so you keep the faith uh, but you're alongside that confronting these brutal facts that basically are the barriers and you're utilizing different different ways of doing that absolutely you've got you've got to say that just because that one path or route didn't work doesn't mean that the whole goal is fruitless and you you know you do have to have that mentality that you will just give it another go you'll just try again yeah but what's your superpower i mean what what does charge you i mean because you i hear it you know you you keep charged and you've got to keep faith and you're confronting these different paths what what is it that you keep you know what keeps buoying the battery up i think you you have to focus when when you get a win you, you have to swim in it. Like I genuinely believe you have to stop for that moment and just really let it wash over you. And, and it will be rarer than the losses. You, you've got to know that anybody that's listening that wants to set up their own business, you will have 90% losses for every 10% wins if you're really lucky. And for me, I let the, the losses fall to the ground. I do not let them stick to me. I don't, uh, you know, I, I give them a, a, a cursory thought in terms of, okay, you know, what what went wrong? And I do that that small analysis, how did that go? And then I let it go. Whereas when I get a win, I enjoy it. I celebrate it. I, you know, I share it with other people. And what you focus your mind on, what you focus your your energy and your thoughts on will ultimately result in how you feel. But you choose what you think about. You choose how you feel about the wins or the losses. I, 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 I really deeply believe that. Sam, it's been incredibly insightful talking to you today. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your spirit. Uh, we are rooting for you with Stella Insurance in Australia and the rest of the businesses. Um, thank you for talking with us on Enterprising Mindsets. Thank you very much for having me. Enterprising Mindsets is part of a podcast series brought to you by Young Enterprise. To listen to more episodes, please follow us through your usual podcast services.